Welcome to part two of an amazing conversation I had with Kim Van Dang. She's the CEO of many things in beauty. But in this episode, we'll be talking about her most recent entrepreneurial efforts. So stay tuned. It's all about the human connection. That's it. That's the beginning and the end. We have a saying for our team in fragrance distribution. We always say people buy people and then they buy product. Obviously the product has to be amazing, has to be high quality, but it's building that connection. Everything is a relationship between the brand owners and us, between us and the retailers, and really with the people on the ground, with their teams and how those people tell our story and connect to the end consumers. It's all relationships. Hi, everybody. Welcome to a new season of Start Right Here. We are the podcast that puts the spotlight on the career paths of BIPAC beauty professionals, entrepreneurs, and creatives, as well as issues related to beauty and inclusion impacting us in the industry, as well as impacting consumers. I'm your host, Corinne Corbett, and I hope that conversations on this show help fuel your path to success. So let's talk about you as an entrepreneur. What made you transition into entrepreneurship? I had been at InStyle for six years. When coming in, I really thought of it as this is going to be a five-year kind of job for me. And I was already in my sixth year, still going strong. By then, the tables had turned and all of the top Hollywood actresses were chasing after me asking to be in my pages. I mean, Julia Roberts wanted an in-style beauty story. Wow. (laughs) You know why? Because they figured out very quickly that if they had these beautiful spreads, they could land a beauty ad campaign. And they realized that after working with really just younger actresses who were not so scared to have the camera so close up, so tight on them, it was finally the top talents in Hollywood knocking down the door. But it's also a case of designing and building your own prison. (laughs) We had invented this monster called Celebrity Editorial, and it's a formula like anything. And at some point, you've done it already. So I got the itch. But as well, I saw the coming of the internet. And I thought, my God, print publishing is going to implode. I mean, the writing was on the wall. So I spent my last year at InStyle really meditating on what was I going to do when I grew up? (laughs) And I realized that for me, the fun was the business side of the beauty industry. I enjoyed sitting down with the CEOs of major beauty brands and discussing their strategy for entering the Chinese market, for instance, or developing the next breakthrough product. So I decided to start something I called a branding agency. And that word is so ubiquitous now, you know, that term branding is everywhere now, but this was 2005. Back then, 
when I made the announcement, all the other editors at Instyle came into my office and said, what's branding? Congratulations. And it wasn't until I remember being in the back of a taxi cab going down Fifth Avenue past an empty commercial building. And instead of a big sign across all of the plate glass saying for lease, this sign actually said branding opportunity. And that's when I realized branding had finally come into its own. Entered the mainstream. (laughs) Yeah. And I defined branding as a big umbrella word that encompassed, God, everything, how people viewed your brand. And that is from a holistic standpoint, how they connected to your products, your packaging, your message, your website, your at-counter experience. It's 360. And it had to be synergistic to actually work. So for me, it meant counseling my clients on everything from what is the product lineup to naming the brand to naming the products to packaging design to web design to marketing to the training protocols for the team. It's pretty amazing. What did you love most about the work? Well, it's very creative and it utilized all of my editorial skills. It was visual, it was copy. And at first, all my clients were the big boys, the Estee Lauder brands, the L'Oreal brands, the Cody brands, the Procter & Gamble brands. Why? Because for years, I had been giving them free advice. <laughs> I knew something was wrong with the picture when I would be invited to a fancy lunch at La Goulou, Le Bernardin all of these fancy restaurants. And before our orders would arrive to the table, the CEOs I was having lunch with would be whipping out notebooks and pens and firing questions at me on what they should launch next or what did I think of this competing brand or that one. And these were fun lunches for me because obviously I love the business of beauty, but When they started pulling out the notebooks, I was like, wait, something's wrong with this picture because they're getting million dollar ideas and I'm just getting a chicken salad. So (laughs) that's when I realized this is something I could monetize. And another dear friend of mine in the industry who I confided in, James LaForce of LaForce and Stevens, a top beauty PR agency, James and I went out for dinner one night. He started to talk about how I should position my new branding agency. He said, you, my dear, are boutique. And I said, okay, I don't know what that means. And he said, that means you are very in demand. You are very hard to find. You have an unlisted phone number. And even if someone finally figured out how to reach you, you're not really sure you could help them because you are so booked up, but you will get back to them. And I said, James, this is either a completely brilliant idea, or I'm going to gain 300 pounds just, you know, sitting on my sofa in my studio apartment, eating bonbons and watching Oprah. (laughs) Luckily, the phone did ring. I took my assistant from InStyle with me and we came up with this term, 
because every afternoon the phone would ring and it would be a new project, a new client. And we started to call it the magic afternoon phone call. (laughs) (laughs) And it was amazing because I had made myself, again, indispensable to these industry giants. And when I disappeared, I had created a vacuum. And of course, it's a very incestuous, tight little circle we work in called the beauty industry. And if I was spotted in the lobby of the Estee Lauder building, word would get out. And then I would get a call from L'Oreal because they're like, what is she doing over there? We need her over here. So work was plentiful and amazing until the recession, the global recession. But I digress. Even before that, the fun for me was being able to make a difference. I think that's always been the fun for me, hence going to Good Housekeeping instead of InStyle at first. Being able to make pivotal decisions that would help a brand reach a new audience or turn around sales or adopt a new paradigm. And that was fun. But what I learned as well is these titans of our industry, they're like big ships. And it takes a lot of people and it takes a lot of time to turn a big ship even one or two degrees, right? Whereas I started getting inquiries from small little startups. And being an entrepreneur, I love entrepreneurs. And they all had fresh fantastic ideas, except they'd never done it before. And they didn't know our industry inside out like I did, and they needed help. And that was really the fun for me was to build something from the ground up, not just help steer ship one or two degrees, but being able to shape, mold, craft, and present something new to the world. And the first brand that I did that for is Clark's Botanical Skincare with Francesco Clark. Yeah, it went on from there until the recession. (laughs) Okay, so let's talk about the recession. As entrepreneurs, people don't talk about as much. And this actually came from somebody who knew I was interviewing you. Can you ask her about failure and tough times and how she handles them? Because we know one has smooth sailing at all times. But yes, if you're running your own business, you have to figure out something. So what has helped you? like in times of the recession and in times where things haven't worked out as you expected? Oh, well, that is certainly true what you just said. There's always challenges. Well, everywhere in the corporate world and as an entrepreneur. What do you do and how fast you do it? What did you do personally? The global recession came and literally overnight, all of my branding projects came to a grinding halt. However, I had just met the love of my life who's now my husband, Anthony Roberts, and we were getting married. And one of my best friends, a top perfumer in the world, Francis Kirkjohn from Paris, was supposed to attend our wedding, except he had a last-minute emergency and could not come. And instead, a little box from Paris arrived in the mail, and it was two little lab bottles labeled his and hers, which we wore to our wedding party. And of course, there were many beauty editors at my wedding. <laughs> and all the editors wanted to know, what are you wearing? And it was such a gorgeous scent. And I had no answer for them. It came in a lab 
bottle. And a week afterward, Francis called from Paris to say congratulations and to ask, "What did I think of these new creations of his?" And I said, "They're amazing. What brand is this?" Because everybody's asking. And he said, "Well, I have an announcement to make. After creating all of these blockbuster fragrances for." Different designers, you know, he was the one who created La Mal for Jean Paul Gaultier. He also did Narciso Rodriguez. He said, "I've decided to start my own fragrance house, my own maison, and I want you to run my business in North America." And I said, "Oh, well, I can." And then I launched into my menu of branding services for him. He said. No, no, thank you. I got all that. I'm doing all of that out of Paris right now, but I want to put my first shipment in the water across the Atlantic. And when it lands in New York, I want you to take over. I want you to run my business. And I said, Oh no, that's not what I do. That's not on the menu. <laughs> and he said, Don't say no so fast. Think about it. And I said, Okay, but you know everyone in the industry as well. You need to do your diligence and go talk to other people who actually do this kind of work. So we went to our separate corners for a few weeks, but in that time, I realized that my brand new husband Anthony had all of the skill sets to help our friend Francis. Skill sets I did not have because he's a sommelier and he was importing almost two million dollars worth of wine into the U.S. every year for all the top restaurants in Manhattan. I sat Anthony down very quickly, and I said, "Listen, we need to help our friend Francis, and you know how to import wine. And wine and perfume are very similar products. They are both luxury products that are alcohol based, that come in glass bottles, and that have a bouquet. <laughs> how hard can it be?" <laughs> My ulterior motive, of course, was to be able to spend more time with my husband. And if you have any friends or family in the restaurant business, you know it is a tough business, and they literally live at the restaurant. They only come home to sleep for a few hours in between. And if you want to see them, you have to go to the restaurant. And I just wanted more quality time with him, so it worked. We took the MFK collection to Bergdorf Goodman. Of course, in all my years in the beauty industry, I had a nice Rolodex of all the top retailers. So it was just a matter of calling them up. I phoned Pat Saxby and I said, "Hey, Pat, I have something to show you. May I come in?" And she said, "Sure, come in." And we did our little presentation. She said yes immediately in the conference room. But even more so, she got on the phone while we were still in the conference room with her, and. Then hung up and looked at us and said, "Okay, you know what you just did here? Get yourself on a plane to Dallas, Texas, and just do what you just did here over there." And that meant presenting to the Neiman Marcus team, which were her counterparts at the parent company. We did, and they said yes. And it was the global recession. I think it was the depth of the global recession, but we launched. And let me tell you, it's tough when, again, you're in a very young perfume culture called America, where people think of it as a luxury, not as a necessity. And it was at the top price points. And I remember there was a lovely man, Mr. Martins, who was the general manager of Neiman Marcus Beverly Hills, 
And I had actually known him from when I was an intern in the LA Bureau for Women's Wear Daily. And I phoned up Mr. Martins and I said, hi, I don't know if you remember me, but I'm launching a new fine fragrance brand in America. And the Neiman Marcus buyers out of Dallas have already agreed to bring it on. And we would like to come launch at Neiman Marcus Beverly Hills with you. He was very delighted to hear from me again. And he rolled out the red carpet. He said, listen, we are having a private party in the store for Christmas. I'm closing down the store early one evening, the week before Christmas, and it's a private shopping party just for our top clients. There was a full orchestra greeting you at the door. There were champagne bars placed throughout the store. There was a runway fashion show they had put together. There were roving carolers. It was a huge investment for them to throw this party. And Mr. Martins gave me a very strategic table at the front of the beauty department. So you would have to pass me before going to see any other brand. And I was placed right next to the tree and Santa Claus. Well, nobody came in that evening. It was the depth of the global recession. And it was scary. Santa Claus and I stared at each other all night. No one came and sat on his lap. I think I sold a few bottles. That was it. But we knew that if we could survive that, (laughs) we could survive anything. And it was a lot of investment, a lot of time. But we believed in the brand passionately. And Neiman Marcus believed in the brand passionately. And they understood about having to bankroll us. They ordered more inventory than they needed, than was selling through, because we just had to weather that tough period. And it was a true partnership. I remember Francis having to fly over to do personal appearances with me at Neiman Marcus Houston, Neiman Marcus... Chicago. (laughs) And sometimes there were very few people in store. And he would look at me like, why am I here? What am I doing here? And it was just like, take it easy. It's literally converting one client at a time, but you know, it builds. Right. And what's interesting is this pivot, this shift launched a whole new company for you in terms of fragrance distribution. Well, yes, because again, it's a very small club at the top of the luxury beauty world. When people started to see the headway we were making with MFK, the phone started to ring. And next up was Sir Trudon Candles. The general manager of the brand phoned from Paris and said, hey, I'd like to come to New York and take you out to dinner next week and discuss how you can represent us. And it built from there. We took that from a $200,000 a year business to a multi-million dollar business in six years. There were many other brands along the way. There's no secret. It's hard work. It's a lot of travel. It's a people business. You have to do a lot of training. Again, my editorial skills kicked in. Sierra Trudon was a huge collection. And we made people launch with a minimum of 18 different scents. And these were all candles in green glass with gold labels. And when a customer would walk up to this counter, looking at all of these candles that look the same, she wouldn't know where to start. And so I had to create a training protocol for the brand. 
And this was a brand that was patronized by kings, Louis XIV, the XV, the XVI, Napoleon after the revolution. So I had a lot of rich material to work with. But again, I had to simplify the message to the end consumer. Again, is what I did at consumer magazines. <laughs> so I came up with a device I called the three R's. So instead of reading, writing, and arithmetic, it stood for what the brand stood for, which was religion, royalty, and revolution. This was the arc of French history, and it was also the story of the brand. And we were able to divvy up those 18 SKUs under the three R's. Then it was just about storytelling and seducing people with scent after that. Tell me how you find new brands to distribute. I mean, this is an ongoing process, so you must always keep your eyes open. Yes. Pre-pandemic, we traveled extensively to different trade shows, but also just networking and having friends in the business who would say, you need to meet this one, you need to smell that. And we developed a reputation. Soon enough, brands started reaching out to us, sending us mailings of their collections. One of the brands we discovered was through Facebook. Well, I got a Facebook email one day from a brand out of Turkey, the only luxury fine fragrance brand out of Turkey called Nishane out of Istanbul. And they wrote to me via Facebook and said, we would like to present our launch collection to you. What is the best address to send our products? I gave them our office address and this little red box arrived, a very long little red box. And when I opened it, there were 18 little vials inside. And I thought, wow, this is ballsy for a launch collection to launch with that many references. And our sales team was in New York that week. So I told everybody that we were going to do a smelling session. And I placed each vial out on the conference table, around the table. And each one came with a little card that described that scent. And I led the group and we smelled one by one. By the time I got to the fifth scent, I slammed my hand on the conference table. And I said, this is ridiculous. And everybody looked at me like, did Kim wake up on the wrong side of bed today? <laughs> What's wrong? And I said, they are five for five right now. I like every single scent and that never happens. So we actually got on a Skype call with them and signed them that day. So you never know where things come from. One of our best-selling brands for the past few years now has been Koki Koki, which originated in Tulum, Mexico. The story there is I had originally met Nicholas Malville, the creator of Koki Koki, when he was a supermodel at New York Fashion Week. You know how exhausting New York Fashion Week is? It's like people think it's so glamorous, but as an editor, you have your day job and your deadlines, but then you have to like schlep, especially during the January Fashion Week, through ice and slush and run around tents backstage trying to get information, <laughs> trying to get interviews. And then Carolina Herrera decided to launch a new men's fragrance at the Frick Museum in a black tie ball during Fashion Week. And it was toward the end of Fashion Week, like Fashion Week always ends like on a Friday. And this was like a Thursday night, 9 p.m. invitation. And I groaned like, 
uh, I was so exhausted by that point and I didn't want to go, but it was my job. So I went home, jumped into a ball gown and showed up at the Freck. And lo and behold, met this very handsome Argentinian who told me that he had a beach house that he was building in Tulum, Mexico. And Tulum was still this paradise, this pristine paradise where the jungle met the sea. There was no electricity. It was magic. And we became friends and he invited me down. And after some time, he turned his beach house into one of the first luxury boutique hotels on that stretch of sand. Wow. Yeah. But we were friends very early on when it was still his private beach house. And he had built this little outbuilding next to his beach house that he was turning into a little spa because he had many friends from Europe and they would arrive jet lagged and he wanted to be able to offer them a massage. So he started dabbling and mixing different essential oils. And that's where Nicholas and I left off. Remember the early days of cell phones where we all had this thing called a flip phone? Yes, of course. (laughs) Yes. One day on Park Avenue, I flipped my phone into the middle of Park Avenue and then a taxi cab promptly ran right over it. And there was no cloud back then. So there went all of my contacts. including Nicholas's number. (laughs) And we lost touch for the next, I think, 12, 13 years. That was that, out of sight, out of mind, if you will. And then there was the uh, stressful year when Donald Trump was elected president and protests erupted all over Manhattan, especially right around where Bergdorf Goodman is because Trump Tower was just down the street. And my husband, Anthony, said to me one day, in December, he said, listen, you need to book us a nice vacation because it's been such a stressful year. And why don't we go to Tulum? Because you always talk about it. And I've never been there. (laughs) And I was like, say no more. I'm on kayak. (laughs) And in the back of my head, I was hoping to look up Koki Koki and find Nicholas. But when we arrived, the Koki Koki hotel had closed on the beach by that point. But we met some new friends on the beach and they invited us to a colonial town in the middle of the Yucatan jungle called Valladolid. They invited us there for New Year's Eve for dinner. And we had no plans, so we thought, why not? And it turned out where they booked the dinner happened to be across the street from a Koki Koki boutique hotel, perfumery and spa. And I was so odd when I saw that. And I asked Anthony to go ahead and order for me while I ran across the street to explore. What I encountered just made my jaw drop. He had turned Koki Koki into a whole universe. There were perfumes, there were candles, there were bath and body oils. He made his own chocolates and honeys and teas and perfumes. And I was completely mesmerized. And I went up to the store manager and I said, excuse me, is this company still owned by a model named Nicholas? (laughs) And the general manager said, why, yes, but he's not here right now. He's in Bora Bora building his fifth perfumery hotel and spa. And I said, 
wait, he turned into Andre Balaj while I wasn't looking. <laughs> <laughs> the general manager gave me pen and paper. I wrote a quick note to Nicholas. And 24 hours later, Nicholas emailed from Bora Bora and said, Kim, I can't believe you're in Tulum and I'm not there to play tour guide. My family and I, we have decided to move permanently to French Polynesia. And I Googled you and it looks like you have a fragrance distribution company now. And I need you to run North America for me. That's how that happened. What's really interesting there is for people that are listening, when you meet people, you don't always look for what you want. Making connections are important. And from authentic connections can come opportunity. It's not I'm meeting you because I want to get something from you sometime. But getting to know people and sharing some common interests can lead to some great opportunities. It's all about the human connection. That's it. That's the beginning and the end. We have a saying for our team in fragrance distribution. We always say people buy people and then they buy product. Obviously, the product has to be amazing, has to be high quality, but it's building that connection. Everything is a relationship between the brand owners and us, between us and the retailers, and really with the people on the ground, with their teams, and how those people tell our story and connect to the end consumers. It's all relationships. So true. On top of running a fragrance distribution company, you opened a retail store. I did. This was almost five years ago now. We were able to purchase a modest beach house in Sag Harbor, New York, in the Hamptons during the double dip of the global recession. That was the only way we got our foot in. <laughs> but real estate was a buyer's market then. And we made a very low ball offer and we're just lucky that the owners said yes. It was our weekend house and it was definitely fixer upper. We had it for several years when we were walking through town one day, again, during the off season, and we saw a for rent sign in this building on Main Street. It's number eight Main Street in Sag Harbor. Coincidentally, Donna Karen had just purchased the building across the street from us, what this space looked out onto. It was a diamond in the rough. It had been used mostly as a pop-up space. And Anthony looked at me and he said, would you like all our brands to sit in a dark New Jersey warehouse? Or shall we put them in the light of day in front of all the right eyeballs this summer? Which was like, duh. <laughs> When you put it that way. So really, it was his idea. He really pushed me into retail, but we had signed our 10th brand at that point. And so there was enough product to put into a store. And we thought, even though we were in all of the top stores in the city, when people are in the city, they're busy, they're working. They don't really have a lot of free time for shopping. And when they're in the Hamptons, maybe the husband is busy playing golf or something and the wife is bored. She has time to shop. Or in the city, you run out of your La Mer face cream and maybe you have your assistant go pick it up for you or you get it online. 
But in the Hamptons, again, you have that downtime. You're more in vacation mode, even if it's only for the weekend. And it's an opportunity to discover new things. So we thought, let's try. I mean, we're selling artisanal candles and perfumes, and not everybody comes to the beach looking for that. But the price was right. The space was right. It's an experiment. Yeah, you take a risk. You know, I have to put personal guarantee on the lease, but I did. And again, it's converting one person at a time. And there are no artisanal fragrance stores in the Hamptons. So we were the first. Yeah. And it's four years now. We just re-upped our lease for year five. We call it Havens because that's the name of the only beach in Sag Harbor proper. And we live off of Havens Beach. And then the idea of a haven, a sanctuary, it was sort of the perfect name. We started a website too called ilovehavens.com. And yeah, we have fun. It's a concept store. So we bring in lots of brands. It's a laboratory for us too, to test out new brands because we get approached by so many brands. And I mean, I certainly have my industry expertise and my gut feelings about things, but it's good to get feedback. Absolutely. Then what makes it exciting too is we love supporting local artists. So we bring that element into the store as well. And it's just been amazing. I liken it to like opening up your living room to the world. All sorts of people walk in. You have no idea who's walking in. And they're usually in tank tops and flip-flops and shorts. But there was this man who came in a few summers ago with his big dog on a leash tank top, shorts, flip-flops. And he only maybe was three steps into the store. I was clear on the other side of the store. He let out a huge yelp. And I thought, oh my God, what's wrong? What happened? And he had just started looking around. And he said to me, I pride myself on knowing all the cool artisanal brands, but I don't know any of the brands in here. How did you do it? (laughs) And he turned out to be the managing director of all of the ACE hotels. Things like that happen every day. We talked at the top of the show. I said, Kim is CEO of many things. We've talked about havens. We've talked about fragrance distribution. We've talked about branding. But that's not all you're doing. You're about to launch something. You are launching something very special. So I'm going to give you the floor to tell us about it. Thank you for this opportunity. This is a big deal. I think after I put on this last hat, I will have maybe done everything in the beauty industry short of my own podcast, (laughs) but I leave that to you. (laughs) Okay, so next month, I will be a brand owner. We are launching Van Dang Fragrances. Yeah, this is our motto, be in the now. Beautiful. Thank you. I love our logo, which my husband designed for me. It's very playful, very different, but still chic and simple. And I especially love our logo bug because he placed the D on its side. Oh, wow. Yes. Yes. So you can read this in many different ways. So some people, when they see this logo bug, they think of like a TV set with rabbit ear antennas. But also, if you look closely, you maybe see a vessel with diffuser reed sticks. Yeah, that's what I saw. That's what you saw. 
Okay, there is something else you can see this as. If the V was a nose dipping into a vessel, into a perfume vessel, perhaps, smelling something. And then finally, if you know me well, and if you've ever received an email from me, my sign-off is always Peace KVD. We are launching our own luxury home fragrance brand. This is a brand that's going to grow, and we have plans to launch bath and body products and fine fragrance next year, 2022. But we're starting with home fragrance. But Anthony and I actually started working on Van Dang fragrances over three years ago when no one had any inkling that a global pandemic was headed our way. And I just feel so grateful that finally we seem to have conquered that challenge of global magnitude, that there are vaccines and that people are able, still with some restrictions, but for the most part, able to get back to their lives. How many scents are in the collection? We are launching with six fragrances. And we are launching them in four different formats. So let me show you and introduce you to Van Dang Fragrances. The packaging is fantastic. The vessel. This is our candle vessel. And I give Anthony all the credit for this. It's handmade porcelain. It is inspired by mid-century modern design, which is a love of ours. It comes with a lid and it comes... More importantly, with this little reveal and a thick base, why did we do that? We understand the luxury client very well. And we know that she just keeps her candle burning for hours on end. She doesn't really follow directions. (laughs) (laughs) While that's very good for replenishment sales, when you burn a candle for hours on end and you get toward the bottom, it gets very hot basically all the wax has liquefied by that point. And over the years for other beautiful brands that we've represented, we have had to deal with insurance claims for people's furniture getting damaged. A hot candle can leave a ring on your wood top table. We've had to deal with claims for leather top desks and chagrin consoles that have been ruined. So we decided to eliminate that problem altogether because there is this modernist reveal. The hottest part of the candle never touches your table surface. As well, it's a large candle. This is actually 100 grams. This is an 80-hour burn time. So we didn't want it to look heavy and clunky in modern architecture and furniture design. Sometimes they use this element where they add a little reveal at the base of a wall or of a console. And that is to make the piece cantilever, to make it look like it's floating. And we decided to add that feature here. So there's a visual lightness of being. Finally, we made sure the porcelain is very fine so that when you light your candle, the whole vessel glows like a lantern. Wow. Yeah. So that's the candle. You know, we're a startup. We're a small little artisanal brand. And most small brands do not start out with their own custom designed vessels. We decided that was important to distinguish ourselves. But how we were able to make it possible is that we use the same vessel as our reed diffuser. Basically, the lid 
we have a logo coin that nests in here for the candle so that it's a covered lid. But for the reed diffuser, we don't add that coin. And yeah, it's two purposes, especially at first, we don't know which is going to sell faster. And the uh, organic texture on it is something we're very proud of too. This was very difficult to achieve, but it makes it an iconic product. There was a lot of discussion as to, do we put the Van Dang logo and where would it go? Maybe here, but in the end, we decided this is a piece of sculpture for your home and we don't want to ruin it with a logo (laughs) as much as we love our logo. (laughs) You know, you have to put yourself in the consumer's shoes and figure out what does he or she want. There is also a room and linen mist and a small little oil dropper bottle in the brand. And these they look like black glass, but when you put it under bright light, you'll see it's actually a dark violet glass. We import these from Scandinavia. It is called biophotonic glass. And what is that? It's a dark purple glass that does not allow any UVB rays to penetrate. What that means is your formula inside stays very well preserved. The shelf life is amazing. But what's even more cool is it does allow certain UVA rays and infrared light to enter. And what those do is they actually animate the organic compounds in our formula so that, in short, your scent stays fresh and lively. Wow. Isn't that cool? That's really cool. They actually did an experiment where they took a cherry tomato and they had a biophotonic dark violet glass jar and they had a clear jar and they put a cherry tomato into each one and they waited seven months. And I kid you not, at the end of seven months, the one in the dark violet jar was still a bright red whole cherry tomato and the other one was like gray mush. (laughs) Right. <laughs> so yeah, like I said, we pulled out all the stops. We really did our homework because my name is on it and we have a reputation. And it's fragrance. <laughs> and it's fragrance. Finally, this is a very special product. This is a porcelain vessel. It's a platform that my husband designed. Again, just slightly larger in diameter than the candle vessel. It's still the same idea with the reveal base. But what's really cool is it has a slight concave top and we glazed it glossy. So it's matte on the outside and glossy on the inside. And why is that? That's because it's a pedestal for your crystal. And in your crystal meditation kit, you also get the oil dropper bottle. So it's a three-piece set. And what you do is every day, you just take a moment for yourself. You place a drop or two of your favorite oil onto your crystal of choice to charge your crystal. And you take that moment to do a quick meditation to kind of be still, to focus on your breath, and maybe to put out into the universe what you would like to invite into your life. And that mindfulness, that intentionality will help you to manifest your dreams. Beautiful idea. And how many crystals do you have available? So you can choose from seven different crystals and six different scents, as I mentioned. So that is 42 different crystal and oil combinations available to you. Now I do have 
my favorite suggestions of pairings, but yeah, you can do whatever you want. So for instance, this is smoky quartz, which is really good at being a very protective stone. So if you have any physical issues or even mental or emotional issues, like if you have really bad nightmares, this is a great crystal to keep near you, especially on your night table at night. We have a friend whose husband is undergoing open heart surgery. So she reached out to me and asked if she could get the crystal meditation set with the smoky quartz for her husband to help him get through his surgery. And this is clear quartz. And this is sort of a universal stone. It's called a master healing stone. And what it does is it's super healing, but think of it as like a booster. It helps amplify the power of any other crystal you have near it. So this is another good one. But there are seven crystals to choose from. Rose quartz to invite love into your life. Citrine to incite creativity. One of my favorites is fluorite. And it's this beautiful pale green color. And that one is very grounding, but it also helps with intuition. And then amethyst helps uh, give you inner strength and courage. And finally, black tourmaline, which absorbs negative energies to keep them at bay. This is fantastic. And what I love about what you've just shown us, not only is the packaging gorgeous and the thoughtfulness in terms of the design, but the crystals are huge. I mean, like they're substantial size. So how do you source these? Well, first of all, I have a little disclaimer. The stuff comes out of the ground. So we can't guarantee that it's always going to be this shape or this clarity or this color or necessarily even this size. But we're trying to make them as uniform as possible. So crystals come from all over the world. Some of the places that we source from include Madagascar, Africa, Brazil has a huge industry for mining crystals. So yeah, they come from all over the world, as do our fragrance oils. I want to talk about that for a second. At Van Dang Fragrances, we are championing a concept we are calling farm to fragrance. In the same way, in cuisine, you have farm to table. For us, it's literally working directly with farmers who are out in the fields, picking the petals and turning them into beautiful fragrance oils and being able to work with them directly through our partner at International Flavors and Fragrances, IFF. They have a division based out of Grasse called LMR, that is Laboratoire Monique Remy. And the team at LMR are the ones who create this direct supply chain. It's a very transparent supply chain. And the farmers that they do business with basically sign a pledge. They pledge not to use any pesticides. And they pledge to farm in a sustainable way. And there's no middlemen. And maybe most important to Anthony and me, to Van Dang Fragrances, is the promise that for doing all of that hard work, it is a fair trade product. We want to make sure these farmers get a living wage. We want to support these farmer communities. And we think of it as an incredible privilege to be able to connect these farmers directly to our end consumers. 
it's back to what I said before, which is it's all about people. It's people who make the world go round. And when you smell our bouquets, it comes through. I mean, these are farm to fragrance bouquets and they're so natural. And we actually went through many different perfumers before kind of landing on the fragrances we have now. It's about working closely with perfumers to make sure that we have an ascent called Solaire, which is an orange blossom, but we use the oil from the orange blossom. We use the stems and the leaves from the orange blossom. And it's every part of the flower and the fruit. So the scent really comes to life when you smell it. And that's the scent to start your day and to position you for openness and positivity for what the day might bring. So beautiful. Where will our listeners be able to Talk about where you're launching and where they'll be able to talk about where you're launching and where they'll be able to buy the Van Dang fragrances. So first of all, we will only be launching in mid-November. We are in the middle of production right now and we're hard at work on our first production run. Everything's made in America. And we will be launching with Bergdorf Goodman as our department store launch partner. And we are so excited by that because, you know, we want to be part of this New York is back movement. (laughs) And over the last 12 years, Bergdorf Goodman and Neiman Marcus have been incredible partners for us. You know, it did start with MFK and Sir Trudon, but it's come full circle. And they so believe in this project. And because of COVID, so many of the smaller artisanal brands have either gone out of business or have been cut out of the offerings at Bergdorf's. So you're kind of left with just the big brands and we're an artisanal brand. So for them to give us the commitment is huge. As well, it's a small, slow rollout. We're going to be expanding much faster in the new year, but this is the first time out of the gate and we want to get it perfect. And like I said, all of our vessels are handmade. So we are limiting how many doors we're opening with. And it'll only be marquee independent doors in key cities across the country. So for instance, the conservatory at Hudson Yards in New York will be launching with us. And they have a store as well in Dallas. We're super excited about that. Another door is Marissa Collections in Naples. We will be opening when the season starts up in Miami with Curio at Faina Bazaar. Sotre, which is a lovely, lovely store in New Orleans, is a launch partner. And Tesoro is a luxury gift store in Beverly Hills. And I do want to mention as well the Paris Market, which has two locations in Savannah and in Palmetto Bluff. What we'll have in the show notes is links to the stores, links to the fragrances, and the information so that you can find not only Van Damme fragrances, but also the brands that Kim has mentioned before as well, because it's lots of information. And we've also just launched our own website. It's vandangfragrances.com. Excellent. As a woman who wears many hats, what's the unsung skill to getting things done? 
at succeeding in wearing many hats? A single skill <laughs> is taking very few hours. <laughs> I have a good friend, Nina Cooper, and her hashtag in all of her posts is "Sleep when you die." <laughs> <laughs> Which I believe was also something that Donatella Versace is often quoted saying. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense because you've got a lot of balls in the air. Yeah, and then being able to delegate, having a strong team who you're close to, who you support, having a wonderful partner, my husband in most cases, and then in Havens, I have a fashion designer partner. Diego Benetti. So he does all of the dresses and accessories for the store, and I do all of the curation for home fragrance and fine fragrance. It's、um, surrounding yourself with people you love and trust. Finally, in this last section of the podcast, I want to leave our listeners with some concrete steps on where to begin. So let's go into our starting five. That takeaway tips from our guests. You managed to turn your love of fragrance into several viable businesses. Can you give listeners five tips on how to work your passion? One is believing in yourself. Two is being very focused. Lots of opportunities come our way every day. It's about recognizing them, but then also choosing the one that is most true to you and your passion and your skill set.、Um, I think people are often sidetracked by money or comfort or ease or something they think they should be doing because their parents always steered them that way or their Partner steered them that way.、Um, obviously, time management has to be in there too. And for me, it's Google Calendar <laughs> with alerts. <laughs> And I guess the last piece is the big picture, the vision piece. Keep your eye on the ball. That's fantastic. I can't thank you enough for joining me. For spending this quality time, like digging deep and giving people, especially our listeners, insight into all the areas of beauty that you talked about and all the areas of your career that you've had a chance to find success and also be challenged and grow through. Thank you, thank you for this opportunity to discuss all of it. Honestly, it looks fantastic in hindsight, but at any given moment, you only know what you know. And it's about one foot in front of another. It's about trusting your gut and taking chances. I mean, entrepreneurship is nothing if not taking risk. But no risk, no reward. And life is short, and you have to try. That's our show for today. If you have questions about where to start in your beauty career, drop us a line at hello at beautybizcamp.com. Remember. There are many roads to success, but each of them requires you to start. So take that step forward today. See you next time.